might open your Bibles to Psalm 130. And we are going to take a few minutes to look at Psalm 130. If we were going to list our individual needs, not our wants, but our needs, they may be very few, but yet we would also realize that each of us have some things in common, and yet we probably have different needs. But we look at Psalm 130, and we're reminded that there's one thing that every one of us here needs. In fact, I think we need this more than anything else. You might say, well, in order to live, we need, you know, we need food. We need water to live. We need a place to live. We need some place that will keep us out of the weather, you know, and warm, and need some place to stay. And certainly we need those things, but notice those things are really of... Um, physical or material nature, are they not? But the one thing that every one of us here needs, and I believe we need it more than anything else, is simply God's forgiveness. And do you think there are times when perhaps we even take God's forgiveness uh, for granted? Because sometimes men are prone, you know, to uh, hold on to things. That is, men are sometimes prone to hold on to grudges and something that's happened in the past and so we hold on to that and we don't let it go and men find it hard to forgive yet the Bible tells us that God is willing to forgive in fact the Bible tells us that God is ready to forgive he's ready to forgive it's like he's reaching out his hand offering this forgiveness to us and he wants to forgive and you think sometimes we take God's forgiveness for granted and when we're talking about Forgiveness. Just realize what forgiveness is. The idea of having something stricken from your record, if you will. We understand how, how nice it is in, in other areas of life to have a fresh start. Uh, even something as simple as somebody going to school and, and, you know, getting their report card and getting the grades. And, you know, the grade may not have been always what it should have been, but it was nice to have that reporting period over anyway. And then you could start, we're going to have a fresh start. And it's kind of like what forgiveness is like. Because God tells us that he will forgive us. And he says our sins and our iniquities, he'll, since he'll remember them no more. They're never to come up again. Sometimes we can look in the past and because of our guilt, we might look in the past and really regret something we've done. And and oh, how, bad, how badly we can look back and say, oh, I wish I'd never done that. And what was I thinking? That was so foolish of me to do what I did. Oh, I wish I had never done this wrong against whatever, whomever. I wish I'd never sinned the way I did. And while it's true that we can't really hit a rewind button and go back in time and have a do-over, it is true that God will treat us as if it had never happened. Because he's promised he will forgive us of those wrongs. And let's look at Psalm 130. Because in Psalm 130, we basically have David here crying out for God's forgiveness. And when he writes this psalm, and some of the words and phrases he uses, we can see how desperately he is longing for forgiveness. He wants God to forgive him. Listen, none of us surely want to face Judgment Day with all of these things we've done in the past, you know, still holding on and still in our past. 
Let's just repent and ask God to forgive us. And if we truly repented and asked for his forgiveness, he will. So look at Psalm 130 and verse 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If our Lord should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with you that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they watch, more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now go back to verse 1 and 2. And if we're going to try to outline this psalm, in verse 1 and 2 we find a cry for God to hear. A cry for God to forgive. But notice he said, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. You see how earnest he is now as he's crying out to God? And perhaps a feeling of desperation. He says, out of the depths. What does he mean, out of the depths? Is he, perhaps as he's, and there's some indication he may even be having these thoughts and writing this at night even as he says, I wait for the morning like a watch, as a, as a watchman would wait and wait for the night to pass, perhaps. Is he saying out of the depths, meaning the depths of water, and using this maybe in a figuratively sense, figurative sense here, as if he's drowning, and he's, and he's, and he's looking for God's forgiveness for survival? Now, some have said maybe even the, the depths of his tears as he's mourning his sin. Perhaps, I think more likely, just simply out of the depths of, of despair, out of the depths of my sorrow and out of the depths of despair, I've cried to the young Lord. And notice verse 2, he says, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Lord, he's pleading. Lord, hear me when I call. Please listen. He says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. He's got supplications in his prayer here. That is, he's got things he's asking of God. He's got a real need that he's asking God to furnish. And he says, Lord, please listen. Lord, hear me when I call. Please be attentive to my prayer here in verse 2. So he realizes God will hear. I know he's asking God to, to listen to his prayer, and he's asking God to hear, but he must realize that God will hear. Does he not? Or else why would he express his thoughts this way and ask for God to hear? But at first you have a cry for God to hear now. Notice verse 3, then, you have a plea for God to help. He said, if you, Lord, should, should mark iniquities, well, who shall stand? That is, mark iniquities. Well, we know what iniquities are. They're basically our sin. Now, he says, if you should mark iniquities, if you should mark our sins, that is, if you should mark these in the way that you're going to take note of, or make a record of, really. If you're gonna, if you're gonna have a like a ledger, or a record book from me, and, and you're gonna take note of this, and you're gonna remember it, and it, you know you're gonna give your attention to it, and you're gonna keep a record of it, and and there it is all the time. And so now, if God is gonna mark iniquities, that if God is gonna take account of my sins and remember them, sin, hold on to them. Well, oh Lord, who shall stand? He said, really, I think the question for us, if God will just simply keep account of our wrongs, how shall I stand? Again, what does he mean, how shall I stand? Uh, 
Does he possibly mean there, how shall I stand? And, and uh, that is, how shall I stand it anymore? How shall I bear this anymore? How can I, how can I bear to go on knowing that you're keeping track of my sins and not forgiving? You take note of this? How can I stand it? Well, maybe. Sometimes we get in situations that are burdens that are hard for us to bear, and we might simply say, I can't stand this anymore. I can't bear it anymore. Maybe that's what David's saying. I actually look as if he's thinking about even eventually judgment before God. Judgment day. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. So many lessons to learn from that one verse in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. As Paul writes, for we must all stand. As I did, what he's talking about. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. But when he says we must all appear has the ideal of, well, not just, not just showing up or being seen. It's more than that. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What happens so many times when someone is in trouble with the law, you know, and they have to go to the court, and they have to go to the judge, and they have to go and they stand before the judge. I really think that's what David's got in mind in Psalm 130. We, Lord, if you're going to mark my sin, if you're going to keep account of my sins and remember these, how am I going to stand? Really, how shall I stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ? Look at 2 Corinthians 5.10 again. For we must. You know, that's a necessity. It's an absolute certainty. Paul is saying this will take place for we must. See, there's no way around it. I've had appointments I've canceled before, and I'm sure you have too. This is one appointment we're going to keep. This is one appointment. The canceling is not going to be an option. One day, you and I are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all, in 2 Corinthians 5.10... Every one of us. Have you thought about that? This is another one of those things we have in common. Not just that we have this need for forgiveness in common, but we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why Christ? Have you ever thought about that? It seems in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Some say, well, I, I thought God was going to judge us come judgment day and Certainly Christ is God, meaning Christ's deity. But I think the point here is God the Father will judge us through the agency of Christ. That only makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's Christ who came to the earth. It's Christ who walked this world. It's Christ who lived with these people. It's Christ who was tempted just like we're tempted. It's Christ who truly knows what it's like to live here, to be tempted like we're tempted. To have to go through the things we go through. And no wonder then he's the one who can truly relate. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done. Whether it be good or bad. Back in Psalm 130 David's writing. Lord. Lord if you're simply going to keep track of my sins. How would I possibly be able to stand before you? On judgment day. But look at verse 4, 5, and 6, 7 through 8. 
And we learn there that, yeah, there is reason for hope. It would be so uh, hopeless without God's forgiveness. And here he's saying in verse 1, Out of the depths of despair have I cried to you. He has a, a feeling of hope, does he, of hopelessness, does he not, in verse 1. And so he's crying for God to hear him. Verse 2, please hear my prayer. Hear me as I come to you with my supplications. After all, if you simply remember my sins, how am I going to possibly stand before you? And so then with the rest of the psalm, he's crying out and he's asking for God to forgive him. He said it's hopeless without God's forgiveness. But, verse 4, so I know I can't come before the judgment seat of Christ with my sins. But, verse 4, he said, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. But there is forgiveness with God that he may be feared or that he may be... Uh, uh, the idea of feared, I don't think, is simply we're afraid of God. I think there are times when we probably ought to be afraid of God in a, in a real sense of fear there. I, I wish more people were afraid to go to hell. You know, I understand that. But I think when he, the ideal he's expressing here, though, is that there's forgiveness with God that you may be feared, that you may be held in reverence and awe and respect. What we're seeing here in God's forgiveness is one of the characteristics of God that separates him from man. Now, now as Christians, we need to forgive and we need to learn to forgive. So I don't want to say, well, well because we're just human, you know, this... We can't forgive. Well, that's not true either. In fact, the Bible very, very plainly teaches if I don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive me. So that's a requirement to be forgiven is I have to be willing to forgive others. But notice verse 4, he said, But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, that you may be held in awe or reverence. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. and In his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Verse 5 and 6, it's an interesting thought here when he says, I wait. I'm not sure what to make of it either exactly. And to be honest here, I'm not sure how much to make of this. He says, I wait for the Lord. Verse 5. And in his word, do I hope. Think about this. You don't hope for something you already have, do you? I mean, if, if you already have something, you generally don't hope for something if you already have it. It's interesting that if, if he's asking God to forgive him, why would he say, I'm waiting for the Lord? And why would he say, in his word do I hope? Now, what does it mean in his word when it simply means... I'm, I'm hoping because of what God has said. My soul waits for the Lord, verse 6, more than they that watch for the morning. It's interesting, again, he's asking God to forgive him, but he says, I, I hope. You don't generally hope for something you already have. And I wait. I think those who lived under the old law probably understood a lot more about the coming of Christ than we realize or than we give them credit for. Look at Isaiah and how many times he spoke of the coming of Christ. 
But even look back at the tabernacle and the furniture in the tabernacle and how it was arranged and so much of that was a type of the church and look at the meaning behind it and then the church being the real thing. Uh, look how we read about Moses and what a great leader he was in the Old Testament and yet we also read one day he says, I will raise up a prophet like unto Moses. They probably understood a lot more about the coming of Christ than we take for granted. Look at the sacrifices that they offered for their sins and yet they offered them repeatedly, did they not? See, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. We read in the book of Hebrews. It's not saying that it did once for a time and it can't anymore now that Christ has come. It's saying in fact it didn't, it never did, it never could, but now Christ's sins do. So you think about this and you ask the question, were those people who lived under the Old Testament, were they forgiven? And David's pleading for forgiveness here. Were people who lived under the Old Testament forgiven of their sin? Well, I would say it's almost a yes and no question or yes and no answer. Were they forgiven of their sin? I would say yes, they were forgiven of their sins. And when they asked for God to forgive them, God forgave them and they were forgiven of their sins, but then the question comes, but yes, but when were they forgiven? I think under the old law, they had forgiveness in promise. Does that make sense? I think they had forgiveness in promise, but I don't think they received forgiveness in actuality, in reality, until Christ shed his blood. Look at Hebrews 9.15. I mean, if they had forgiveness without Christ shedding his blood, why would Christ die? Why would it be necessary for Christ to die? But look at Hebrews 9.15. For this cause or for this reason, he, meaning Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, that is, through his crucifixion, by means of death, notice it says, for the redemption of the transgressions or the sins that were under the First Testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. He died for those who lived under the old law as well as the new. And through his death, they which were called might receive the promise of this eternal inheritance. Were they forgiven under the old law? They were forgiven, but only in prospect of the coming of Christ. So now back in one, uh, Psalm 130, here is David saying, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in his word, the promise of a Savior, is that part of his word? The promise of forgiveness that the Savior would provide? Something the Old Testament sacrifices could never provide. He said, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits. Is he waiting here in the sense that he's waiting for the time to come? He's waiting for the time of Christ to come and then he could receive for this forgiveness more than they that watch for the morning. See, the, they that watch for the morning are those like, in a, like, a, like the guard at night who would who'd stand watch till the morning come. But see, they're, they're being very watchful and attentive. And is that part of David's attitude here? Now he says not only himself, verse 7, but he would certainly desire that all Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord... There is mercy. He's a, he's a loving God. 
He's a merciful God. He's a God of justice as well. But he's a merciful God. And I like this in verse 7. And notice it said, with him is plenteous redemption. That's like abundance. An abundance of redemption. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The message here, I think, is real simple. Is that the one thing, more than anything else, the one thing that every one of us here needs is God's forgiveness. Without it, how will we ever stand before the judgment seat of Christ? How will we ever stand before the judgment seat of Christ? They're not going to be able to without God's forgiveness. Think about how we deal with sin sometimes. See, sometimes people can have sin in their life or they can... They can they can look back and say, oh, I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I hadn't seen the way I did. I wish I hadn't done this to this other person, whatever it might have been. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish I could go back and change it. But we can't do that. But look how people deal with their sin a lot of times. You know, if I, uh, if I just forget about it, it'll probably go away. Doesn't go away. That's how we kind of think something. If I just forget about it, if I forget about it, it'll go away. It doesn't go away like that. Sometimes people think, well, you know what? If enough time goes by, I mean, after all, this, you know, this could be years ago and years ago and years ago, and enough time goes by, eventually, eventually my sin will go away. It'll just sort of fade out. It doesn't pass with time like that either. Or sometimes people can excuse sin. They'll make their excuses for it. Sometimes they'll be apathetic for it, a- apathetic toward their sin. You know, none of these things will, will provide what we need in regard to sin. I mean, apathy, that's not going to take care of your sin. Time, that's not going to take care of it. Make excuses, that's not going to take care of it. I mean, what's going to take care of our sin? You see, nothing but the blood of Christ. We understand this. This should be our greatest plea today that we have. The same as what we're reading in Psalm 130. Out of the depths of a cry unto you, Lord. Lord, please hear my prayer. And please forgive me of my sin. So that I can stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. With confidence. Confidence because of Christ's blood and what he's done for me. Let's all ask constantly and plead for God's forgiveness. The lesson is yours today to do with as you wish.